Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List. I'm Eric Fisher, and this is the podcast about helping you not just be more productive, but to find the real meaning of productivity, living a meaningful life. This week, I'm excited to bring back to the show Todd Henry. He's the founder of Accidental Creative, a company that helps creative people and teams be prolific, brilliant, and healthy at a moment's notice. He's a popular speaker, he consults with companies, and honestly, the thing he's most known for, that he's been on the show for the most, is his books, so many to mention, The Accidental Creative, Die Empty, Louder Than Words, Herding Tigers, The Motivation Code, Daily Creative, and now a new one, The Brave Habit, A Guide to Courageous Leadership. And in this conversation, that's what we're talking about. We're breaking down that new book. We're talking about the practical applications of The Brave Habit and the transformative power that taking brave actions in everyday life can manifest. First and foremost, we talk about what is the brave habit? What does that mean? And there are five components. It's an acronym, B-R-A-V-E. And then we talk about why this book is connected to his second book, Die Empty. We also differentiate between the words bravery and courage. There's a lot of semantics there. There's some nuance there. And the brave habit is more than just sucking it up and being like tough in a moment and doing the right thing and just doing it like Nike style. It's a lot more about cultivating, as the word habit indicates, a normal way of doing things with an optimistic vision, having agency in one's life, applying that brave habit to leadership. And that leadership word doesn't just mean leading others. It also has a lot to do with leading yourself. I know that if you're a fan of Todd Henry and his previous books, you're going to love this one too. In fact, this one kind of underpins and complements all of those previous books. So enjoy this conversation with Todd Henry. Well, this week, it is my privilege to welcome back to the show, Todd Henry. Todd, welcome back to Beyond the To-Do List. Man, I feel like I have been on your show so many times. I'm like a co-host at this point. You could be. I was just thinking as I was kind of retrospecting about how many times you've been on, I realized you were first on. I was already aware of you. You'd done the accidental creative, the podcast, obviously, and the book that the name comes from. But it was really Die Empty that started your appearances. It was like, oh, Todd Henry has a new book. It's called Die Empty. And I'm I'm not going to jump into what it's all about just yet. But that was 10 years ago that you started that. And I had started the show 11-ish years ago now. So very early days. And then you've consistently shown up over and over and over again. And it's been great having you. And one of the things I realized as I was going through your new book, The Brave Habit, A Guide to Courageous Leadership, I saw a parallel. And I'm just going to call it out is last time that John Acuff was on the show, and we both know him a bit, he was talking about the book your new playlist, which was the book his daughters wrote and he kind of co-wrote with them and and edited, but they really wrote it. But it was based off his soundtracks book 
And as I was going through that book, much like going through The Brave Habit that you have, I realized, oh, this is the book they've wanted to write for a long time. And you've even said so in some of the marketing materials. And I've seen like the underpinnings and the ethos of your approach to how you do what you do finally kind of in full spotlight. I think that's the best way I can put it. Does that ring true for you? It does. I mean, I've been working on this book for seven years, since 2016. I guess it's almost eight years, I guess now we're 2024, but 2023 is when I wrapped the book. So I worked on it for about seven years and it was kind of, it was a slow burn. And and in that time, as you know, like I released and was on your show talking about louder than words and then hurting tigers and then the motivation code and then daily creative, right? So like I've had four books come out since I started working on this book in the background. And the reason was... Something had always bothered me about that book, Die Empty, that you mentioned. And it's that I, when I released the book, I released it. It did well. It was read all over the world. I got to speak about it all over the place. But there was something I kind of overlooked in that book. And it bothered me so much that I actually changed the way I spoke about that book. I changed my my speeches to incorporate the topic of bravery because I realized I'm telling people, go do these things. You know, Go confront these forces that keep you in a place of, of stagnancy in your life or these places where you slip into mediocrity. Well, how do you do that? Well, you do that through brave action. <laughs> That's how you do it. But what does that even mean? I mean, telling people go do brave things isn't really helpful unless you help them have some handles for what that looks like. So this book really has been simmering on the back burner for like seven years. And I didn't want to just put a book out. I pitched it actually when we pitched The Motivation Code, which was in 2018. And it was kind of between this and The Motivation Code and Portfolio. My publisher decided to go with The Motivation Code. That was one they wanted me to pursue at the time. And I pitched this one in Daily Creative. And my publisher said, no, let's go with Daily Creative. right? So I've, I've sort of been working on this book in the background and kind of pitching it. And we had a publishing offer for this book. And I was like, I think I'm just going to do this one on my own. I think I'm just going to put it on my own because I want to have some flexibility, A, about how long the book is. You know, it took me seven years to get it down to 156 pages. I know it seems the opposite. Like you see, the longer you have, the more you would write. But actually, it took me a long time to really get these ideas down to their essence. And B, I wanted to just be able to like share this in whatever form I wanted and put it in the world in whatever way I wanted and not have to worry about, you know, getting somebody's permission to do that, which you kind of have to do if you're publishing with a traditional publisher. And so, yeah, so it's been a really weird, long process but a very gratifying process to take that much time on the book and then to sort of be putting it out the way that I'm putting it out. So to couch it in the, oh, it's the missing piece of Die Empty. Let's take like 30 seconds, a minute and just recap. For me, Die Empty, because I remember seeing you talk about it, the analogy or the metaphor of the graveyard where the ideas are essentially don't take your greatest work to the grave live out loud, et cetera, et cetera, which people should go read Die Empty. I'm just saying. But but to couch that context of the brave habit, what's the essence of Die Empty, essentially? The essence of Die Empty is that most people slip into a place of mediocrity without even knowing it. And that word mediocrity comes from two words in the original language, medius meaning middle and ochreous meaning rugged mountain. So they get halfway up a rugged mountain and they say, eh, close enough, I'm going to settle in. Most people don't do that by choice. Most people do that because they encounter one of seven forces. And the seven forces are aimlessness, busy boredom, comfort, delusion, 
ego, fear, and guardedness, which is when we become closed off to others. And so in Die Empty, I really write about each of those seven forces, those seven deadly sins, as I call them, and how they can cause us unknowingly, unwittingly, like even the best, most talented people. As a matter of fact, often it is the best, most talented people who settle medias ochres, who settle into mediocrity because they're relying on their talent to get them through. They're relying on their instincts, you know, their past, their history to get them through. And the reality is you can't shoot from the hip. Your talent will get you in the game, but your practices keep you at the table. And so it takes bravery to confront these forces, these seven deadly sins. And the reason it takes bravery is because you have to do countercultural things to confront them counterintuitive things in some cases. You have to invest your time. You have to invest your energy in order to overcome them, You know, not just spend it doing the most convenient or comfortable thing. And so I know that some of that probably sounds obvious and intuitive to the smart people that listen to your show. Oh, great. Here's another you know self-help book about how to not be comfortable, get out of your comfort zone. But the reason those things seem obvious is because they're deep truths. (laughs) The reality is we crave comfort. As human beings, we want the most comfortable path. And there's nothing wrong with comfort. But you cannot choose comfort at the expense of doing great work. You can't choose comfort at the expense of producing value. In the end, that's a path that leads to regret. In The Brave Habit, I quote Khalil Gibran, who wrote... Verily, the lust for comfort murders the passion of the soul and then walks grinning in the funeral, right? The lust for comfort murders the passion of the soul. I think that's true. Our love of comfort murders our own soul, our own passion. And then it sort of mocks us at the funeral, right? Being brave, as I describe it in the book, doesn't make us a superhuman. It makes us fully human. It brings us alive. And so that's really why I wanted to write this book was to be sort of almost like the activation guide for some of what I wrote about in Die Empty. Now, the title, The Brave Habit, obviously a lot of productivity people, they can latch onto that word of habit and say, well, wait a second. If it's habitual, if it's something I can habitualize, if I can make it a thing that I do regularly, then it must be somewhat skill level. It must be something that someone can teach me, that I can learn, and that I can then execute with practice. And I love that you position it that way. Yes, absolutely. And and here's why. There's been a lot of talk about courage in culture recently. A lot of books written about courage and a lot of uh, motivational speeches about how to be courageous. And that's great. I mean, I think all those messages are really important. I mean, what C.S. Lewis wrote that courage is every virtue at its highest point or something. And I think that all of that is true. I got that quote terribly wrong, I'm sure. But it was that's the essence of it, right? And so courage is certainly something to be aspired to. And I love that it's become a topic of discussion. My problem is this. Eric, if I tell you, go be courageous, that's like telling you like, Eric, go be a couple inches taller or Eric, go jump a little higher or Eric, you know, your eyes need to be a little bluer, right? Like, how do you tell someone to go have an attribute, you know, to have courage or to be courageous? Because it, it seems like something you feel, right? And so that's always been my, my issue with that word. Whereas if I see you do something, it's really easy for me to say, Eric, that was really brave. What you just did, that was very brave. And so in the book, what I basically do, how I draw that distinction is, I believe that bravery is the active form of courage. Bravery is courage put into play in a moment where we either have to rise to the occasion or we have to shrink into cowardice. It's really easy then to say like, 
were you brave or were you a coward? <laughs> you know, it's easy to sort of distinguish between those two things. I think most of us in our honest moments, if we were ask that question about a critical point in a meeting where maybe we bit our tongue and we didn't say what we wanted to say or where we knew we had an idea we could share and we chose not to because it was easier or when we were in a difficult moment in a relationship and we know that we could have been the bigger person and reconciled, but instead we chose just to let the other person like stew in bitterness or whatever. If I ask you, okay, were you brave in that moment or were you a coward? Most of us would be able to kind of answer that question if we were being really honest with ourselves. Whereas if I said, were you courageous or not? It's like, well, I I don't know. Like that feels a little more ineffable. So that's kind of where I draw the line in the book. And the reason I called it the brave habit is because it's my strong belief based upon the research I did for this book over many years that bravery is something we can train ourselves to engage in, that we can actually train ourselves to respond with bravery. But it requires, just like anything else, I spent most of my life and my career working with creative pros, right? It's a very similar thing. We tell people, hey, go be creative. Okay, how do I, how do, I do that? Well, you build practices in your life to prepare you for those moments when you need to be creative. And then you've trained yourself to be creative in the moment. That's how you do it. That's what I teach people how to do. Bravery is the same way. You can't make yourself brave, but you can train yourself to be likely to respond with braver instincts in the moment by getting ahead of those moments and by sort of teaching yourself some some practical skills. And so in order to do that, you have to understand the mechanics of bravery and when brave action is more likely to occur than when it's not. I like the distinction between the two words, and it it makes me think of often the distinction that language can bring when we think of the word love and how, you know, these days, oh, the word love means lots of different things. But back in the day, there were just different words that mean different nuance to the word love. And so it's almost like courage is the, the feeling part of love, whereas bravery is the action part that hopefully you get to that point where you've habitualized continual showing up. And you talk about the word agency, which I love later in the book. I think there's another word that people might mistake in the midst of courage and bravery. And actually there's multiple words, but they all kind of mean the same thing. It's Some people would mistake bravery for if we're thinking just action, they're thinking, oh, I do whatever I want. It's not just boldness. It's not just bravado. It's strategic and it's decisive, but it's again habitual. Yes. And that, and that is another distinction I make in the book. You know, some people, some of the advice out there is similar to something like just go do it. Take the leap. Why have you not already done it? Just go, you know, cut off the relationship. Just go, you know, leap into the business, quit your job, do the thing. That is terrible advice in a lot of circumstances. Now, there are maybe some people for whom that's really good advice, right? Because maybe they are holding on a little too long and they're just, they're afraid to be brave. But for a lot of people, that's terrible advice. That's bravado. That's boldness. That's not necessarily bravery. Bravery calculates the cost. Bravery is strategic. Bravery understands. And and this is part of what I get into in the book is the two kind of qualifying characteristics of brave action. Where brave action likely occurs is that you have an optimistic vision of the future. So you have a, a clear vision of the way things could be a better possible future. And you believe you have some agency to be able to bring it about. Meaning that you, you believe that you have the capacity to move whatever it is toward that vision of a better possible future. Some people make a bold leap into the unknown and they call themselves brave. And I'm thinking, no, actually, in some ways, that's a form of cowardice because you're absolving yourself of responsibility for the outcome. 
right? If I just make a bold leap into the unknown, oh, I can't be held accountable for what happens. I'm just, look at how brave I am. I'm making a leap. No, people who act bravely understand the consequences and they act in spite of the consequences. They understand what they're doing, what they're getting themselves into, and they position themselves for success. And then they make that calculated brave leap. But I think we often mistake that. We think like in order to do something great, I have to be bold. Sometimes, but not necessarily, right? So I think it's important that we, as you said, we have to use our words very carefully. Same thing with, you know, bravery versus heroism. You know, like I think we often conflate these things. We think bravery is running into a burning building and rescuing someone. Yeah, that's certainly brave, but I would really sort of skew that more toward the word heroic, right? Because you're doing it at risk of life and limb. But it's also brave when somebody says something in a meeting that maybe other people aren't going to like, but they know that this is the right perspective and they know they need to share it. Well, that's a brave thing to do because you're risking something. You understand the cost, but you're doing it anyway because you think that there's a better possible future and you're claiming agency to bring it about. That's brave as well. For some people, it's brave to get up on a stage like you're going to do at the conference that you're going to, right? To get up on stage and, and share your insights. For some people, that would be a really brave thing. You and I, I mean, I, I get on stage in front of thousands of people all the time, right? Like uh, for me, that's no longer a brave thing. But for some people, that would be like their biggest fear. And to get up on stage and share their ideas would be very brave, right? So it's a sliding scale. We have to recognize that. And the reason this is important, Eric, because some people might be thinking like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, bravery, okay, I'm on board with that, right? But here's the thing. We don't live our life, right? Our life is comprised of moments and how we respond in specific moments at points in time in our life is going to determine the arc of our life in general. So when we look back on our life, we're not going to see a whole pie of things that we did. We're going to, we're going to think about specific moments and the moments. If you ask people what they regret the most at the end of their life, and I've talked to a lot of people about this because again, I wrote the book Die Empty, right? If you talk to people about what they regret the most in their life, it's typically not when they stepped up and made a brave choice and failed. It's usually those moments when they knew what they needed to do, but instead they chose the cowardly path. They chose the path of comfort, the path of least resistance. They chose to run away instead of moving forward, right? That's what people regret the most. And so what I'm trying to do in this book is help people understand the significance of those moments. It's not just right now in your career and you know whether you get the next promotion or whether your project succeeds. Yes, those things are important. What I'm really trying to help people understand is that 30 years from now, when you look back, those moments are the things you're going to remember. And are you building a body of work that you're going to point to with pride? Or are you going to have deep regret about having retreated into cowardice instead of choosing brave action in the moment? Still searching for a great candidate for your company? Don't search, just match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch that busy work. Instead, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. I wish I had Indeed when I was in the hiring process in roles in the past because it is a slow, arduous headache of a process to find the right people, or at least it used to be, join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to find and hire great talent fast. 
In fact, in the minute I've been talking to you, 23 hires were made on Indeed, according to Indeed data worldwide. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash to-do list. Just go to Indeed.com slash to-do list right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash to-do list. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We mentioned the word agency. I think people are wondering, okay, well, if I want to start habitualizing this and I want to feel like I don't want to feel like I have more agency, I want to have more agency in my life. How can we develop that agency in our lives and kind of get past this sense of powerlessness that we sense in ourselves? Yeah. So there are three core elements of agency that I talk about in the book. And by the way, agency is a fascinating topic. Uh, and it's one that I, I really, I dove into. This is why it took me so long to write this book because I kept pulling these threads and I would discover some guy who wrote about all this stuff and did all this research back in the early 1800s. I'm like, okay, now I need to read everything that guy's ever written. And then I would discover, like in this case, like the work of Albert Bandura, you know, who was um, a phenomenal researcher and psychologist and discovered all of his work on agency. And I'm like, oh, now I got to read all his stuff and read his studies and read the outcomes of that. So when we talk about agency, we're really talking about three core things. We're talking about our proficiency, which means our skill set, our capacity to personally execute what we're trying to execute. We're talking about the people in our life, so our relationships, because we don't always have to be able to do things ourselves if we know other people who can help us accomplish what we're trying to accomplish. And we're talking about our platform, which is our ability to amplify whatever it is we're trying to do, you know, our reach. So to show you how this might play out, like let's say that I'm really concerned about something happening in some part of the world. Let's say I'm really concerned about the, the war in Ukraine right now, right? Because I'm, 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 I'm concerned about that. I have very little platform to influence that. There's very little that I could do, even with the reach I have with my podcast or with my books or with my speaking. Like I could use all of that. And there's very little that I could do to influence what's going on in Ukraine right now. But... There are things within my sphere of influence that I could have tremendous impact over. So when I talk about agency, what I'm talking about is understanding the reach that you have, the capacity you have to actually bring about your vision of a better possible future in your life and in your world. The way we develop that is like we develop anything else. There are some specific phases we go through as we grow in our our creative expression or our, our career, whatever that looks like. We typically begin by copying other people. I'm sure, Eric, when you started your podcast, you probably had a set of people that you had listened to and you probably were like kind of copying their style a little bit, right? Like trying to find, or maybe when you're writing, like you sort of copied some other people. I know I certainly did that in the early days. I really wanted to sound like Ira Glass when I started out. So I was like talking like NPR and trying to, you know, and then I found my own voice, my own style, my own thing. And 
that's what I call divergence. That's the innovation phase of your growth. And you start to become known for a thing. And that seems like a wonderful place when you become known for a thing. It seems like that should be the best part of your career, but it's actually a very dangerous part of your career, a very dangerous part of your life. Because what happens when you become known for a thing? You start protecting that thing. You start circling the wagons. It becomes all about preserving the thing that you've built. And if we want to continue growing, if we want to continue developing our agency, we have to be willing to continue to develop our skill set, which means going all the way back to the beginning, maybe copying and incorporating some other skills from other people and developing those skills and continuing up the growth curve and being willing, if necessary, to fail our way to growth. But most people, when they become successful, don't do that. Most people, when they become successful, when they become known for a thing, it becomes all about preserving the thing they've become known for. And so they circle the wagons. If you're up for it, I'll give you an example of how this is playing out in my life right now, in my business. Peel back the curtain, man. Yeah. So as I was writing this book, I was asking all kinds of really brave questions of people and challenging them to do brave, authentic things with their work and make brave decisions and you know claim your agency and establish your vision and all that stuff. And one of the questions I started asking myself was, if I were to start Accidental Creative all over again, like I did 18 years ago, would I be doing things the way I'm doing them right now? And I thought about that a lot. And the uncomfortable answer I came to was, no, I I wouldn't. I would be doing things very differently if I were starting over today. Well, the next logical question, Eric, is, well, then why are you doing them that way if you wouldn't be doing them if you were starting over? And I realized the reason I'm doing them that way is because... It's pretty doggone comfortable. It's pretty doggone convenient. I've got all these sponsors and all these people listening. And I've got this platform that I've built over all these years and these millions of downloads every year. And we're monetizing that with advertising. And it's really comfortable. But I knew I had a different vision of the future. I knew that there was a way that things could be better. And so I had to make some difficult decisions. And one of those decisions was I completely... And you and I have been talking a little bit behind the scenes about this because you've kind of been seeing this coming. I've kind of been cueing you in on, I think I'm doing some pretty major overhauls here. So I ended up basically driving a semi-truck through 18 years of work. You know, I had thousands of back episodes that are now just gone. They're just... They vanished. They're gone. You can't find them. We started over with episode one of the podcast and we renamed it from Accidental Creative to Daily Creative because... If I were starting over, would I call it accidental creative? That's the opposite of everything I've been teaching for the last 18 years. Why would I call it accidental creative? So we, we renamed it daily creative because that's what we're aspiring toward is being creative every day. You know, we started over with episode one and we moved it to a storytelling format, more of a narrative, a fully produced narrative format. I also knew that we talk about agency that I can't do this on my own. I mean, you know how hard it is to produce an interview podcast let alone one where you're trying to develop a narrative arc and you've got production and music and multiple stories and interviews and all that. I knew I was going to need to increase my people element of my agency. So I brought in somebody who I know is really great at story to help out. You know, I needed to do that to claim that agency. I had somebody in my network. I was like, great. This is part of my agency. I have a person in my network who's really great at this. I'm going to bring him in and make him a partner in this new effort. Let him produce the show. But the thing is, I had a vision. I knew it was right. The easiest thing to do would be just to stay where I am and just keep milking what I've built for as long as I can. But I also knew that I could not be a brave, authentic voice challenging people to do brave work unless I was willing to be a brave, authentic voice doing brave work in my own business. And so we've completely reinvented 
everything that I've been doing for 18 years. And it's scary. And to the point of failing your way to growth, I'm sure we're going to put out some clunker episodes at some point. I think the ones we've done so far have been pretty good. But at some point, we'll probably put out a clunker or two. And that's just part of learning. That's part of growing and figuring out how to get there. And the risk of that is, A, we're foregoing advertising revenue, which is basically a really good salary for someone is what we're foregoing every year in order to do this because we got rid of the back catalog. As you know, that's like millions of downloads a year of monetizable podcast content. We're foregoing that because it can't be there side by side with what we're doing now. And the other risk is people aren't going to like it because I've been doing a thing for a while. You know, well, that's a very real risk. People might leave, but it's the right vision. I know it's the right vision. It's where I want to go. It's where I want to take my work. And that's something I'm just going to have to brave through if, if that's the case. So that's an example of how these principles have been playing out in my own life and my own work. And, um, I think we all have to ask those dangerous questions. Sometimes we don't ask them because we don't want the answer. Speaking of vision, I know that there's, again, you can only see out so far literally and figuratively, but. When people say vision, often some people will hear that word and they'll think, oh, the way that I think and feel about the future or my perspective, again, language and interchangeability here. But when it comes down to it, there's an uncertainty when you're talking about all of this. There's no certainty. You don't know. Again, the the scary stuff is you don't know if people are going to like it. You don't know if doing away with what worked, air quotes, is the right choice, but you have to test the theory and you have to move forward. And in the book, you talk about cultivating an optimistic vision as part of bravery and the brave habit. How does that play into this for you? So you have to have a belief that there is a better possible future. That's what optimistic vision is, right? When you lack that, when you have a a pessimistic view of the world, it's very difficult to act bravely because your belief is, even if you believe you have agency, if you don't have a better vision for a better possible future, you don't have some vision you're living within, it's pointless. Why, Why should I act? Why should I be the martyr that throws myself on the spear when it's not going to matter anyway? Right. And so you have to have that belief. And I don't, I don't care what it is in the face of uncertainty. And let's face it, Eric, we are facing more uncertainties on more fronts, I think, than I have ever experienced in my lifetime in terms of the global economy, in terms of politics, in terms of business. I mean, think about just how business is being disrupted by AI and all the potential ramifications of that. And all the, a lot of the people listening to this are probably creative pros like I am and probably thinking like, am I going to have a job in three years or am I going to be taken over by a robot? Like what's going to happen? You know, there are a lot of things right now, a lot of questions that we're asking. And so in order to navigate through that, we have to have a vision for what a better possible future looks like for us so that we can continue acting in a meaningful way. If we don't, if we just succumb to the pessimism that the world often wants to draw us into, it's going to be really difficult for us to act bravely in those moments that matter. Now, I know that the part of the title that some people will think should be a bigger maybe component of the book or that it might be what they're looking for as they come in. They latch on to the last word of the subtitle, leadership, and they think, oh, this is about being a brave leader. Well, it is and it isn't. It's about being a brave leader of yourself, first and foremost. And I think that's basically the first half plus of the book. But then you get into kind of the herding tiger daily creative side of things where it's not just about you. It's about you involved in a team or you leading a team, you doing that work consistently, but doing it bravely. 
So let's talk about that. Let's take this brave habit and apply it to not just the daily work that you're doing yourself, but how you apply it and how it starts to connect and even multiply the impact of bravery on a team and others as you're connecting with other humans and other people. You caught something really important there because the original subtitle was a guide for courageous leaders. And that noun leaders was something that several people, including I sent it, I sent it to the editor of the accidental creative, my first editor, David Moldauer. And he said, I think you're limiting yourself by putting that noun leaders. And I, I want to say Seth Godin actually gave the same feedback. We actually ended up changing the subtitle to a guide to courageous leadership because regardless of whether you're the noun leader, everyone has to exhibit leadership in their life, whether that's leadership in your community, in your family, on your team, you know, with your peers, even in your own work. Everyone's accountable for exhibiting leadership in some capacity. And so the core of the book, the last several chapters, really, once we sort of get beyond the, the theory of it is, okay, how does this play out in practice? What does this look like? What are some brave things? What does brave leadership look like in an organization? What do brave teammates look like? What does brave work look like? And it's some principles that I think people often, you know, they would say that brave work is, you know, take the bold risk with your ideas or take the bold risk with your, you know, with, with your client conversation. That's not really what I'm encouraging people to do. It's things like, own your words and actions. That might be the bravest thing you can do, but to actually stand in front of your team and say, I am going to own my decisions. I'm a person of consequence, which means that everything I do has consequence and I'm going to own the consequences of my words and my actions. As a leader, that means a leader of a team. That means putting your resources where your mouth is. That's a brave thing to do. Many leaders I encounter, I work with tons of teams, Eric, and many leaders I encounter frustrate the heck out of their team because they talk a big game. They love to cast a big vision. But then when it comes down to it, they're not putting resources behind the things that they say matter, right? Instead, they're hedging their bets because they don't want to be caught in case they're wrong. They don't want to end up you know, getting in trouble over making a commitment that they shouldn't have made. And so their team is like, I don't feel like I can trust anything you say because you're telling me one thing, but then I see you doing another thing. And so what does bravery look like in those circumstances? It looks like leaders actually backing up their words with action, with resources, actually supplying their team with what they need. What does brave leadership in an organization look like? It looks like speaking candidly to your team and advocating on behalf of the organization and its priorities and speaking candidly with your leadership and advocating on behalf of your team. And not being afraid to do both. Leadership's about being in the middle. It's not about being on top. Everyone thinks leading is being on top, but every single leader in every single circumstance reports to someone. They have someone they're accountable to. Even the CEO has to report to the board. The board has to report to the shareholders, right? Think about the way the US government is set up, right? We have checks and balances on every branch of government. Everybody reports to someone regardless of where you are. And so brave leadership in an organization looks like I am going to speak candidly with my team and I'm not going to ask them to do something that I'm not willing to resource and put my full effort and belief behind. And I'm going to turn around and and do the same thing with my organization. And I'm going to be willing to speak to the organization when I think they're not being fair to my team and make sure that I'm fighting for what my team needs in order to do their best work. So on a on an organizational leadership level, that's what it looks like. On an interpersonal level, it looks like being the first to step up and resolve a conflict. 
I am willing to be the first person to say, hey, I'm going to be humble enough to come and have this conversation because I want our relationship is more important to me than being right. And so I'm willing to have this conversation. I'm going to enter into the difficult conversation with you and make sure that there's nothing between us. Because if there's something between us, that's just more complexity we have to jump over in order to even do our work. Because now I know we've got this tension between us. Let's just resolve it. It doesn't matter. Let's just resolve it and move beyond it so that we can actually do some stuff together, right? These are things we don't think of as bravery. We think we always think the big projects, the big initiatives, but more often than not, it's the small things, the small moments, the little ways in which we're compromising integrity that we have to focus on. Speaking of the small moments, that ties into the word habit in the brave habit, that it's habitualized, that it's incremental, that it's small, consistent actions. What are some of those brave habits that we can start to habitualize? What are those building blocks that make it to where we are living this out consistently? So the brave habit, as I describe it in the book is comprised of five steps, B-R-A-V-E. And it is literally a habit. Like it's something that you can habitualize, you can ritualize in your life. Twyla Tharp in her book, The Creative Habit, which I only just now made that connection that it's the creative habit, the brave habit, right? But she wrote about how every morning as a choreographer, she would go to the gym for a workout. So she would get up, she put her clothes on, she'd go down, hail a cab, go to the gym, do her workout. And she said, the ritual isn't doing my workout. The ritual is hailing the cab. Because I know if I hail the cab and get in the cab, I'm going to do my workout. The cab is going to take me to the gym. I'm going to do my workout. So the, the ritual is hailing the cab. And in the same way, if we rely on our instincts in those moments when we have to be brave, we're going to fail. We're going to succumb to comfort. We're going to succumb to the easy path. Instead, we have to get ahead of those moments. And so B-R-A-V-E is the method that I challenge people in the book to do. B stands for block, which is block time, which I'm sure most of your listeners are very comfortable with that terminology. But block time to review the uncertainties in your life, to look at those places in your life where you feel some tension, where you feel that sort of little gut clench, where you're like, I know I'm going to have to do something here. I don't know if I'm really comfortable with it. Block time to review it. The second part, the R is review. Review those tensions. Review areas of tension in your life, uncertainty in your life. Where in my life am I a little bit less than comfortable with my relationship? Where am I a little bit less than comfortable with my work? Where maybe I'm being challenged to do something I'm not really comfortable doing or where I'm being challenged with something that feels a little beyond my capacity and is going to require bravery in order for me to do it. So review, review all of those areas of your life, your meetings, your tasks, your projects, all of that. A is agency. Claim agency in each of those areas. Okay, I might be nervous about walking on stage and giving a speech. Let me review why I am perfectly able to do that. Let's look at all the reasons in my life why I have the agency to be able to bring about a better possible future in that circumstance. V is vision. What is my vision for that area? What is the better possible future that I'm trying to bring about in that area of my life or that relationship or that task or that project? And then E is express, express an intent. What is my intent? What is the outcome I am committed to in that area? And what am I going to do this week in order to bring about that better possible future? So if I have a challenging relationship with my manager and I know I need to have a difficult conversation with my manager this week, right? Block time. I review that relationship. What are my touch points with that manager this week? Where are the moments likely to be where I'm tempted to succumb to cowardice, but I know I need to have a difficult conversation? All right. Agency. Let me review. 
difficult conversations I've had in my life? What have made some of them really good? What have made some of them really difficult? What do I need to exhibit in order to claim agency in this? Do I have the capacity to have this conversation? Yes, I do, right? Vision. What is my vision for what a healthy relationship with my manager will look like on the other side of this conversation? And then E, express. What is my intent? When am I going to have the conversation? What am I going to do if the opportunity presents itself? Well, I'm choosing ahead of time that I'm going to rise to the occasion. I'm not going to succumb to cowardice, right? So you're preparing yourself for those moments before they arrive. And that way, you're not relying on that fight or flight instinct in the moment. Instead, you've already determined what you're going to do when that opportunity arises. And you're much better poised to act bravely in the moment when it does. The acronym strikes me as prompts or journaling prompts, if you will. And it could be daily, like daily creative, or it could be weekly. It could be just, hey, this week, you know, forward casting or retroactively looking backwards. How do I think I did? It could be all of the above. That's just one way that I kind of see this integrating onto some other ritualized practice that gets it into a regular rotation. 100%. We actually created a print workbook for this book that's available. I mean, you can buy it wherever you buy your books. The reason we did that is because of that very thing, right? The the back half of the entire workbook, the first part walks through all the individual chapters, but then the back half is like 50 pages of just like worksheets where you can work through the brave habit on a weekly basis and sort of review all the areas of your life and what agency you need to develop, what agency do you already have? You know, what's your vision for each of these areas? And that's exactly what you described. It's there for that reason to help people engage in that habit, that ritual consistently. Now, ideally, we would get to this sooner rather than later and start getting entrenched in a good way into this process. But I know that you had a perspective change on all of this. You even kicked the book off with this in a way. Talk a little bit about how the book starts with this story that you tell about basically a health issue from when you were younger. Yeah, when I was 15 years old, I was playing in a varsity basketball game. Basketball was my love at the time. It's what I really lived for, really. I mean, if I was being honest... I started feeling a little tightness in my back. So the coach pulled me out of the game and had me stretch on the sideline. And I went back in and it didn't go away. So he pulled me out and I thought I must have pulled a muscle or something, you know, something silly like that. So I went home that night and I got in bed and went to sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't move my legs. Or to put it more precisely, if I move my leg two inches to the left or the right, I would have a shooting pain all the way up and down my spine and just was agony. And so... I rolled out of bed. I crawled arm over arm into the hallway and I yelled for my parents, Hey, something's not right here. My legs aren't working properly. They called an ambulance, took me to the hospital. They did a scan and they found a grapefruit sized mass in my abdomen. And they thought immediately thought it was cancer. Then they did a exploratory surgery and they discovered that it actually was a swollen muscle, that there was an infection a staph infection in a muscle that was pressing my sciatic nerve against my sacroiliac joint basically paralyzing me, right? I just I basically could not move. Well, the hospital was ill-equipped to deal with it. They couldn't deal with it. So they transferred me to a hospital in Columbus, Ohio, to the infectious disease ward where my doctor was Dr. Michael Brady. I kid you not for you Brady Bunch fans. Michael Brady was my doctor. And he came out and he told my parents, he said, hey, if I can save him, which I mean, just think about hearing that as a parent, if I can save him, I'm going to have to pump him full of so much antibiotics that it's going to definitely have side effects. There's no question it's going to have side effects. And they said, well, of course, save him, you know, if you can. So they did. They pumped me full of antibiotics. And I remember, Eric, in that moment, people cycling through my hospital room, coming to visit me. I remember even 
as a 15 year old kid, I remember thinking, man, they are choosing their words very carefully. And it didn't hit me until later that like these people thought they were saying their last words to me, like my friends and my family, like they thought this might be the last thing I ever say to Todd, you know, because everybody thought I was going to die. I lost 50 pounds. I went in as like 190 pound, you know, six foot three, 190 pound athlete. And I came out like at 130, 131 pounds. So I lost like 50 pounds in the hospital. I eventually came home. They told me, you're going to learn how to walk again. You probably won't be able to run or you probably won't be able to play basketball, which just crushed me. And I was like, screw you. I'm going to do it. So I did. I learned how to walk. I put on a bunch of weight. I drank a bunch of protein shakes, put on a bunch of weight. Uh, I was running within a matter of months. I ran the steps at the school day after day to kind of get back in shape, put back on like 50 pounds. And by the next season, I was playing basketball and I ended up having a really good high school career in basketball. As a matter of fact, to this day, I have on my wall a couple of years ago when they tore the gym down, my dad was able to get a three foot by three foot piece of the floor from the old gym, the top of the key where I used to shoot. That was kind of like my favorite shot. And he got it for me. And I put it on my wall to remind me that I'm going to go through difficult seasons in my life and I need to rise to the moment when it happens. But what happened to me in that moment, Eric, was a really valuable thing for a teenage kid who, I mean, as you know, teenage kids, like they think they're going to live forever. I mean, teenage kids think that they're just it. What really happened for me was I realized, man, life is precious. Life is short and moments are important and I'm going to have hard things in my life and I need to be willing to rise to these moments. Even when it's difficult, I'm going to have to rise to the moment and, and work for what I want. And so that recovery really taught me a lot. And also like, I mean, I won't wear hospital gowns for weeks on end and have people staring at your, at your butt and using you as a human pen cushion. Like you lose all self-consciousness. And so like, I was really shy going into that, into that experience. And like afterward, I'm like, sure. Like most popular girl in the school. Sure. I'm going to ask her out. Why not? Like, what do I have to lose? Like I've already like almost died. Like what, you know, it's funny how your perspective changes on things when your perception of consequence is altered in that way. And so I really wrote this book and I talked about this in, in that chapter. I wrote this book because I want people to have that same sense of imminence and urgency about the moments in their life. I want them to feel what I felt in that moment, which is, man, life is precious. And these moments are sacred, these moments that we experience. And we need to be prepared to meet them because at the end of our life, we're going to look back and it's going to be our response in those moments that is going to stand as a testament to what we really valued, what we really cared about on this earth. I'd love to point people to the book. I think that's a great way to to kind of close this up is let's point people towards the book. I know that this is dropping. This conversation is literally dropping as the book is coming out. People may be able to get the window of pre-order still, which would be great. But if not, it is out momentarily. So let's point people to where the best place is to, again, jump in, find out more and actually also connect with everything else that you're doing. Yeah, um, you can buy the book wherever books are sold. So, you know, audiobook, ebook, whatever, a print book, you can get it wherever you want to read it. So just, uh, you know, buy The Brave Habit wherever books are sold. If you want to check out my work, you can do so at toddhenry.com. That's my personal website. And you can find all my books and podcasts and everything else there and, and listen to Daily Creative with Todd Henry, which is the new format for the show. After 18 years, we're now on episode four, Eric. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. So wiping away 3000 episodes has a tendency to do that. So we're we're back at episode four now. Wow, that's brave. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's all I can say. Great job. Yeah. So Todd, it's been great talking with you as usual. And I think 
next time you show up, I think you're the person who's been on the show the most guest wise. So <laughs> maybe we should have that happen sooner rather than later. I know that you've got a big flurry of activity of travel and speaking, and obviously you've probably got book ideas that are simmering, but uh, in this new realm of, of stuff that you're doing, let's figure out a way to have you back sooner. I would love that. That would be great. Yeah, I'm, I'm frantically writing my next book as we speak, just so I can be back on your show, Eric. You heard it here. So <laughs> I've got it on, on documentation. So Todd, thank you so much for being here again, as usual, and for sharing your wisdom and experience. Thank you so much. And thanks for your consistency and your showing up for your audience over and over and over again. And you and I mean, there are just a handful of people that I look at and I'm like, man, that is what consistency looks like. It is so hard. People don't understand what it takes to do a show like this. So thanks for thanks for what you do. Well, that's another podcast crossed off your listening to-do list. As we wrap up this episode, I hope that as you got something out of this, you're thinking of this concept of the brave habit and how it can complement your life. Number one, I think you should go grab the book. You can find the link in the show notes at beyondthetodolist.com. But then also start to think about where those moments in your past have been, where you've been called towards this bravery that you've needed, and start to realize that you can move forward claiming agency and having a cultivation of that optimistic vision. And remembering that bravery isn't just for heroes. It's something that we all need to do in our everyday lives and take those lessons from this conversation and start to apply them to your day in and day out life, your leadership, your agency. And I don't just mean if you're a creative agency, I mean your actual agency and the agency you have in and about your life that you may not think you have. I really hope that from this conversation, you were inspired to be more optimistic and that you can lean into having more agency in your life and an optimistic vision and moving forward into the possibilities that are there for you in this new year. If you found this helpful, I would love for you to share it with somebody you know needs to hear it. Hit that share button in your podcast player app of choice or over on the show notes over at beyondthetodolist.com. Thank you so much for sharing. Thanks again for listening, and I will see you next episode.